wanted to say um, that it is, um, yeah, I, I just want to say that we're actually, it's already Gimel, but Betty's was my mother-in-law's uh, yard site. So I just wanted to like say, we're learning. And my mother-in-law actually um, passed away in her own house, uh, learning Nabi. She had a safer open in her hands. Was uh, what they call mitat neshika. She just passed away very quietly in her home, and with the open safer, I believe she was learning Shmuel. So uh, Shama should have an aliyah, and we should all uh, to learn lots of Torah. I think, I think that because it's been such a long time, that we should go back a little bit, especially since. Chapter 8, Perakhet, is very much a continuation of Perak Zion. And in order to understand everything about <clears throat> Perakhet, we really kind of have to go back a little bit to Perak Zion. So in Perak Zion, the, the B'nai Israel have come over the Yardane, many, many miracles. They've um, gone through Brismila, Mass Brismila, and Pesach, and the the miracle of the uh, conquest of Yericho, which was something supernatural. And then their next, their next military exploit ended in defeat. And this was a, a real slap in the face because they're, they're so gung-ho, they're all like, we're gonna go and we're gonna conquer. And all of a sudden they, they lost, they ran away. And many reasons are given for this, uh, the failure, but the, the most important reason is that Yeshua had declared that the, the spoils at, at the city of Yericho would be Cherem. Cherem means band. They were dedicated to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and a man named Achan stole from the Cherem. He took a really nice um, Babylonian coat and some gold and silver and stuff that he thought was attractive. And he hid it in his tent. And this was a great uh, desecration. And um, interestingly enough, you know, we have a, hi, we have a, um, you know, an expression to the victor go the spoils. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu was actually the victor in the Battle of Yericho, the Jewish people didn't really do anything. They just walked around. You know, they did their hakafas and they blew their shofar. But the victory was God's. So the, the spoils were God's. And if that, that, according to Chazal, was a declaration of Yeshua. It's not necessarily coming from Hashem. But once it was declared, it wasn't right of Ahan to take there. So Kaddish was very angry with the Jewish people. And one of the main lessons that we take from Chapter seven is the idea that we, we find it difficult to understand the idea of collective responsibility because, you know, Aachen did it, I didn't do it. But there must have been something wrong with the atmosphere in the nation. There must have been some sort of feeling that, you know, it's okay. He wouldn't have done it if the, if it was if it wasn't somewhere out there that, yeah, well, why don't we get the stuff? And 
whatever people were saying, something was off there. And so the whole people are held collectively responsible. And uh, 36 people die in the first battle of Ai. Yoshu was distraught. And he dives to Hashem. And Hashem says, listen, there's a few problems here. You didn't go with them. Kolach, what are you sitting here? Right? Why didn't you go? Why didn't you uh, make sure that the atmosphere was more uh, respectful of the cheyrem and all this stuff? And um, various other things. Let me see. And... Um, <laughs> My daughter with a mask, my mask. Anyway, um, I'm sure there's a good reason. So in any event, the second time around is going to be much more um, difficult. And Yoshua, after um, the lottery where they determined that Achan is indeed the sinner and Achan is punished. So then we're ready to start again and it's really uh, been very, very, very daunting. So <clears throat> we'll get into um, Parakhet now. Uh, I'm going to do the share screen. And, okay. So I like to first look at the the general, um, the general uh, breakup of the of the parak, and you see that in this edition, which is usually sort of similar to what you would have in a Tanakh, parak it's, it's a long parak. It goes from Aleph to Yud Zayin. That's the first section, and that's where Hashem tells Yoshua what the battle plan is going to be with the next battle at I. And then Yudchet to Chavtet is basically the battle and how that goes down. And then Lamed to Lamed Hey is a whole separate uh, story about the fulfillment of God's command to set up a, a Mizbeach, an altar on Har Ival, and to set up Six tribes on one mountain on Hagrizim, six tribes on Harival, and pronounce the blessings and curses as we see in Parshas Kitabo. That's a little bit of a separate story. I'll have to leave a little time to talk about that, but let's go through here. And this is my uh, clearest, I think, edition. Okay. Everybody sees? You can see? I'll say the psukim so that anyone who listens later can understand. Pasuk Aleph and Pasuk Bet are sort of an introduction where Hashem speaks to Yeshua and gives him the direction that this battle is going to go and a little bit of, uh, shall we say, encouragement. It's, it's been a mighty blow. It's been a mighty blow. There was no expectation of the Jewish people that they would lose a battle. They were just, and after Yericho, they just thought this is a piece of cake. One of the things we talked about in Perak Zion is that Yeshua, you know, he sends these spies and the spies say, well, yeah, I is just, it's a tiny little town. Like who needs a lot of people? Don't, don't send a big army, 2,000, 3,000 people is enough. So the problem with this attitude was that A, you didn't, 
you don't deserve to be overconfident because you didn't really do anything in your Richo. So they're like, oh, look at us. We're, we've done everything. We were like knock out these, uh, you know, Kananim, right? So that's not a correct attitude. And the overconfidence tripped them up. And I think I mentioned that I always, when I, when I learned this, I always think of, you know, here we are in the, we run up to uh, Yom Atzma'ut, and today we just started Yom Azikaron in Israel. And uh, we lost so many people in the Yom Kippur War, 1973. And one of the things that seems clear from history and from those who observe the Tanakh as a roadmap for life, and that is that the Six-Day War was a miracle that was not appreciated and not, uh, and not uh, lauded as the gift of God that it really was. So there were people who felt that, well, you know, the Israeli army is a great army and that might be true. But the reason you won that monumental victory in 67 was not because we had a great army, it was because Kaddish Baruch wanted you to win. So six years later, we had a resounding defeat and you, we might've scraped through a victory in 73, but we lost many, many young men. It was a terrible tragedy. So the first thing is, how do we go back from there? Because we have a whole nation, seven nations, looking at everything the Jews do and saying, ah, we gotcha. You're not as great as you think you are and we can, we can overcome you. And the king of I is all full of himself. And this is a terrible thing. How do we overcome this? And here's a very interesting uh, progression here. Take a look. Verse one. Hashem says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Take with you the entire uh, army, every uh, all the standing army, and get up and go to I. Behold, I am giving in your hand the king of I, his nation, his city, and his land. So the first thing Hashem says is, Yeshua, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to do this. But interestingly enough, he says, this is the Rishon. First thing, take everyone. Now think about this. I really turns out to be a small town. I has 12,000 people in it. Most of the suburbs of Yushalayim have more people in them than I. The spies were not wrong in saying it was a small town, but they were wrong in their assessment of how difficult it would be to conquer. And here's the rub. Now, Rabbi Liebteg is a very interesting analysis of this Sefer. And he says, it's all about the walled cities. It's all about the walled cities. And what does he say? And I think it's very important. If you think about it, right? How do you conquer a walled city? There, either you like put up the, you know, think about the movies you have seen, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, right? The battering rams and the great thing. How do you conquer a walled city? So you have to overwhelm it with force and breach the walls, or you have to starve them out, the Romans did with Yushalayim. There are ways to conquer a walled city, but it's not a simple thing. And even though I is small, it's fortified. And the Bene Israel back in the desert were like, 
you know, Arimbit Sarot, that's why they chicken out at the time of the spies. They're like, we can't do that. It's four to five cities. So the spies underestimated I grievously. And not only that, I is on a hill, right? In the previous paragraph, we talked about a morad. When you have the high ground in a war, you have an advantage. So not only they're fortified, but they're high. And later on, they become a tail. They become like a hill. Like a, a it, it's, it was not an easy place to conquer. So the first thing Hashem says is you need the whole army here. This is not going to be a miracle. This is going to be strategy. Second thing is, Alei, kum alei ha'ai, Yoshua, you have to be there. You have to be there. And interestingly enough, I'll show you this. I'll jump around if it's okay with you ladies here. Here is an interesting Rashi. Here it says, uh, this is in Devarim. Tzavet Yoshua b'chazkei b'amseki, hu yavro l'fnei ha'amazeh, hu yanchil otam atzaretz asher tereh. Hashem says to Moshe, command Yeshua, strengthen him and make him courageous because he will cross before the people and he will make them inherit the land that you will see. Now, Rashi here says, if he crosses before them, they're going to inherit. And if not, they're not going to inherit. And so we see that when he sent people from the, I am translating loosely from the Rashi, when he sent people from I and he sat, the people of I struck them. And when he fell on his face, Hashem said, Komlach, get up, right? You are the one who stands in your place and you send my children to war? Why are you falling on your face? Didn't I tell Moshe, if he goes, they'll go. And if not, they're not gonna go. They're very interesting Rashi back in Dvarim. Okay, we'll get back to our Sukkim. You see, what happens is you have to be the one to go. So that's point one. Point one is take the whole army, no more little uh, fighting forces. And number two, you have to go. And I will give you the king of Ai, who is the cause of all this trouble. I will give you his nation. I will give you his city and his land. All of these kings are going to go one by one. Vasita la'ai, Pasuk Bet, verse two. Two more important points. Hashem again encourages Yoshua and says, you will do to um, you, I, what you did to Yericho, and Rashi says, right, um, oh, it's, it's Radak. Radak says, you burnt it and you just and you destroyed them, and you killed them and destroyed it. You can do the same thing too, I. Right? And now two more points. was not a good idea. Not a good idea. And Lord Rashi says, I'll no more of these Let the people take it. Now, this is also very interesting because we said to the victor, come go with spoils. This is going to be a, a, a full-fledged battle. The Jewish people are going to fight it. And it will be, they will be deserving to take the spoils. And that's num point number three that's different in this battle. Point number four, God gives him military advice. What is an orave? A wave is an ambush. Put an ambush behind the city. Now, 
this is the general sense of what Hashem tells Yoshua, and now we have what Yoshua tells the people in Pasuk Gimel. But you see there's four points. Got to have the large army, you got to go with them, no cherem, and an ambush. And Yeshua gets up and all the people to go to Ai, so he takes 30,000 men. Now we're really uh, on the serious side, 30,000. And he goes up to Ai and he sends them at night. And he sets up these 30,000 men behind the city, right? Don't go too far away from the city, but be ready. Now, I, I, I dug up a map, because you cannot really learn this without a map, as if someone's listening without watching, so just try to imagine this, okay? Here's I. Can you see? I. And here is Beitel. We keep saying Beitel is west of I. Now, the Jewish people are at Gilgal, and then they're now, they were at Yericho. And here in the south, you see this green line. South of Ai is a large ambush force, the 30,000 approaches Ai from the south. Okay, we're going to refer back to the map, but bear in mind, bear in mind that the eastern flank of Ai, right, is already. Jewish territory. They have conquered Gilgal. They have con they've conquered it. They just occupied it. And they conquered Jericho. So on Ai's eastern front, it's already Jewish. Now, the southern ambush comes up this way. All right. And there's a lot of them. Let's go back to the text. And he says to them, Ani, when they go out before us, right, we're going to come and attack the city. And when they come out to greet us, as previously, we will run away from them. Here's the plan. We will put ourselves as if we're attacking. We come out to attack I. And they'll go, way, their Jews are back. So let's go get them. They will go out after us. Hatikenu is an interesting word. I first should go a little bit here. But, you know, being that I live in Israel, I'm going to go with the Radak. And the Rashi also mentions it. Not here. Not the first thing. The second thing. Yesh and anyone who talks on the phone in Israel knows what it means, Lynn, not take, to cut off. Hasicha <laughs> nitka. You are been cut off. So uh, I'm going to take that bahatike no, and none often drops. I like that better than the iron dropping, which is another suggestion. Okay, so they go, they're going to come out, and we're going to cut them off from the city because they're going to say they're running away from us like they did the other time, and we are going to run away. Okay, so he sets up the plan. Now, Zion Batem, Takum Meha Awev, Pasuk Zion, you guys are going to get up from the ambush, and 
you guys will get up from the ambush and you will inherit the city and God, Hashem will, uh, will give it in your hands. Now, interestingly enough, this plan, right? Uh, let's just finish with Yoshua's command to the people. Verse 8. So I've gone a little quickly here, but we'll, we'll uh, explain. And it will be when you seize the city, right? Light it up on fire, burn it up. Do the, like the word of God. Okay, so what is going on here, and what do we what do we do with it? So, first of all, Hashem is addressing when he first speaks Yeshua the fear that Yeshua has, and Yeshua is addressing the fear that the people have, because once they've lost the first battle, <clears throat> there will be a natural reluctance and fear to engage again. And Joshua says in Perak Zion, what will be, right? This is very bad PR for you, God, right? You're supposed to be, uh, you know, we're supposed to be coming in and taking over. And the fear of the Jewish people was so great. We talked about that back in Perak Bet, when the spies went to Rachab's house, they're so afraid. And this is really, really, hold back that fear. So Mepharshim talk about this. <clears throat> and uh, generally they say that Hashem want, very much wants to encourage Yeshua. Yeshua wants to encourage the people. The Ralbag says it's very important here that even though there's a little bit of discussion in Pasagala. Uh, yeah. Even though Hashem could, of course, do a miracle here, Hashem wants this to be a natural battle, right? It doesn't have to be a miracle. And that's uh, an important thing to think about. Hashem says, okay, you had your miracle. I announced, Hashem said, I announced my presence. And now you have to do it yourselves. So... Um, my, my husband's grandfather, Rabbi Yaakov, <coughs> has a good shot here. He says, because of the loss of the battle in Perak Zion, the Jewish people are afraid, and Yeshua particularly is afraid, that all of the kings will gang up on them. Now they'll say, it's open season on the Jews, because you see, they're just like anybody else. They won one day, they lost the next day, and he's afraid that they'll all gang up on him. So a Kaddish Baruch who reassures him and says, I'm going to give you the city. And not only that, Rabbi Yaakov says, we have to counteract the Chil Hashem factor. So the Chil Hashem is that the Jewish people ran away from their enemies, right? That's Chil Hashem, desecration of God's name because God looks bad, right? His people are, are failing. So what's going on here? What's going on here is that the battle plan is such that when the people of Ai run out to chase the Jews like they did the day before, the time before, 
right? It's not the day before, the time before. Then they will get away from the city. The city will be attacked by the ambush and they will not have any place to run away. And they will have, uh, they will lose by this stratagem. And in retrospect, when you've done that, when they've lost the battle with the Jews pretending to run away, right? So then in retrospect, the original battle looked like a planned stratagem because you have to get past the wall. How do you get past the wall? You get past the wall by getting everyone out of the city. So that, in other words, the people of Canaan are now gonna say, wow, not only do they have miracles behind them, they've got a clever military strategy because they pretended to lose the first time so that they could fool I and overcome them the second time. So Rabbi Yaakov has a very interesting take here that they're now going to not only defeat the city, they will eliminate the Chil Hashem factor. So that I think would be what I would like to call our first life's lesson. We get very discouraged. We made a mistake. Things were tough for us. It wasn't so good. Hakash Baruch Hu now snatches victory from the joys of defeat. Hakash Baruch Hu could do anything. So that's a very, um, I think, an encouraging thought for us. That even if you mess up, and even if you do a sin, or you do something wrong, you could dive into Hashem, you do your tshuva, and Hashem could show you how that's going to be a springboard for progress. It's an interesting uh, thing. Now, let's go on. Uh, another important lesson is that the leader has to be with the people. You know, in, in modern Israeli army, it's like Aharai. It's a very much a part of the, the um, what shall we call it, the, the, the idealism of the Israeli army, that the, the leader always goes first. The leader always goes forward and the people follow. Not, you don't send people to war. And I think that, you know, we can really just look around us. You know, we have examples of, you know, uh, I would just say just right now we have this Zelensky guy in, in the Ukraine who says, I, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. It's an example of leadership. So it's important to think about that. If the leader isn't there, they can't do anything. Okay, let's go on. So, right. We went through his commands. He ends off with a very strange kind of state. He doesn't say, after he gives them the whole plan in, in Pasuk Chet, he doesn't say, Hashem will be with you. And, you know, right? right uh, we do, you know, it's a kind of a strange way of summing up his, his commands to them. And the Mephoshim struggle with this. And why does he do that? So some of them say that's just his style, but I think that, uh, I think we have to understand that psychologically, the Jewish people were also disappointed in Yoshua. And Yoshua is telling them, you know, I'm commanding you, stick with me. Uh, this is what you have to do. 
And also, he's also saying, like, guys, you messed up. Achan messed up. Don't mess up now. It's very important to follow my commands. Okay, now we move to the actual battle, classic tet. Now, this is the first stage. Yoshua sends them and they go to the ambush and they sit between Beitel and I, west of I, right? And Yoshua that night is amongst the people. So if we go back to our map, they're coming all the way through from the south and they're ending up west, the sort of southwest of I and west, uh, um, west of I and in the direction of Beit El. And then he says, Yoshua sleeps that night with the people. So Rashi says, Yoshua is a very early riser. Not so much my type. I'm a night owl, but he's always getting up early in the morning. So now he'll be there on the spot early in the morning. But what's what's going on, right? The the Torah talks about Yeshua as a leader, the one that goes out. I showed you there in Devarim, and in in Bamidbar it says Asher He's the one who has to take them and bring them, and he stays with them that night. And I think that would be. A, a very important life lesson. There's no battle going on there. There's nothing happening, but he's with them. He stays with them. And um, yeah, I find this like very profound because many times we, we hang back when people need us and we think, well, we don't wanna bother them or they might be busy, but you should never underestimate the power of being with someone, just to be there for people who need you. And the closer the relationship you have with the person, the more important your presence can be. Sometimes if a person is sick or they've, you know, they've suffered a loss or they're having a hard time and you're just being there. You know, today we have a million ways to be there you know, here we are on Zoom. And um, it gives people a tremendous amount of encouragement and koach and strength when they know that someone's there for them. And, you know, this may be a case in our parak of a, a leader, a Yoshua understanding that he has to lead, he has to be with the people. But I think we could really take away from this how important it is to be there for people who are going through stuff. And you don't have to like sit on their heads and you don't have to nudge them, but you just have many, many ways you could show people you care. You can send them messages, you could send them food, you could send them flowers. Something to think about, some, some great uh, importance to your presence and to your thought about others. Okay, prosecute. So Yoshua gets up early in the morning, as this is his derech, and he, now Vayifko, persecute here, 
Life code is a strange word. It often means counting, but here it seems like it means he's inspecting. He's inspecting the troops. He's seeing what's going on. And he goes up before the people with the elders, the same elders who back in chapter seven cried with him at their defeat, those same elders, he goes with them to Ai. Okay, right? And all the nation of war and all, all those soldiers, it's not so clear, you know, the 30,000 were the first ambush, we're going to see there's a second ambush, and the army, the Chazal say that the, the army was really 60,000, so there might be another 60,000, right? And what are they doing? They're coming, facing the city, and they're camping north of the city, and there's a valley between them and between I. So we could look at the map. We'll try to describe it for those who are not looking at the map. You see that Yehoshua, it says here, the main Israelite force pitches the battle versus I, the Bain's retreat. This is the main battle, the line here. And what they're doing at night here is, you see there's a little arch there. They're north of I. And this little ridge there is showing you that between that force of Yehoshua and I, there's a valley. Now, again, when you have the high ground, right, you have a military advantage. So if Yeshua is going to actually attack the eye, this is the most dangerous place to be because they're going to have to come down into that valley, into the ravine, in order to attack eye. So Yeshua is putting himself in the most dangerous place, right, Acharai, and the rest of the nation is with him, right, but... Okay, let's go back to the psukim. Right? Pasikud bet, vayikach kachameshet alafim ish, vayasam otam away, bein beitil bein ha'ai, miyam la'ir. So he takes 5,000 men, and it isn't clear, the Das Mikra says it's not clear, if he takes them from the original 30,000 ambush or if he takes them from his own troops. He takes the 5,000, he puts them as another ambush between Beitel and between I west of the city. So going back, looking at the map, you see here, there's a, here, the small ambush force approaches I from the north. So they're going to be west and north. The main ambush is going to be south and west. So we've got the west covered. We're coming around the north here. And the east is already Jewish taken. It's already Yericho. So in a sense, we actually surrounding I on all four sides. Going back to the Psukim, Yud Gimel. So this is already a second day. All these troop movements have taken a full day. And now he puts, they put the nation and all the camp that was north of the city and the Akave. Now, if you remember that Akave is a heel. And Asaph complains about Yaakov, who's named for the heel, but Yaakveni That Akev means you tripped me up. Yaakov messed me up twice, as if Asaph uh, was totally innocent there. But here, Akevo is that extra little, you know, trip, extra little spring. That's the 5,000 west of the city. And then we have another time, again, now he's in the valley. Physically speaking, 
he's in the most dangerous spot, right? In the lowlands facing I from the north. Now, if you think about this, it's a very interesting Chazal. I, I don't want to go without telling you. The Chazal say, He was learning Torah that night. That's a Medrash. The Medrash says that when the Malach came to him earlier, the, that he, the Malach said, you're not learning enough Torah. And so he's learning Torah here. The previous night he was sleeping, but here he doesn't seem to be sleeping. He's going to get up early, but that is the Medrash. In, in terms of Pshat, he's in the valley between his camp and I. He works. And the king of Ai looks out and he sees his Jews approaching. Great. By Yamaru, they hurry by Yashkiva, get up early by Yetsu and Shayel Kratis Relamilchama, who will call Moed, Lefneha Araba, the Huliadaki or Wave Lomeacha ear. So now the king of Ai looks out. Now he's sitting pretty. He thinks he's got it all figured out. And of course, this teaches us the dangers of overconfidence. Hurry, everybody get up, everybody get up. And, and they see that the fighting force of the Jews is greater than had previously been. So he takes Kol Amo. He takes all the, the warriors out of the city. La Moed, we don't really know. Moed is usually an appointed time, like a holiday in, in our thought, but here it's appointed time. So a number of ways of understanding it. Maybe he thought that it's, you know, it's, it's Basher, it's the same time as the previous battle where he won, or maybe the magicians told him it's a good time. We don't know, but this is the time before in the plane going down to the valley. And he didn't know that there's an ambush behind the city, which we are showing in that map. That seems to be the south. So he comes running out toward that ravine, right? To fight the Jewish people, if you could see. And then, right, he has no idea that there's people here, many, many troops, south and west. And he is taking all his warriors out of the city. And they were um, uh, struck. Yeshua and all of Israel were struck before them. And they fled toward the way of the desert, which seems to be east, the way toward the desert. And Rashi says, They pretended to be running away. Pasik Tetzayan, by Yizaku Kal Amashir Ba'ai, Ba'ir Ba'ai, Lerdofa Harehem, by Yudafu Achari Yoshua, by Yinatkumina Ear. Perfectly the way Yoshua had planned it. Hashem said, make an ambush, and it works. The whole city was called up. They went out to chase after the Jews. They chased after Yoshua, by Yinatku Minha'ir. If they had, you have to wait in such a case till they distance themselves enough from the city that they can't get back into it in a hurry. There wasn't one man left in I, and also Beit El was coming to help them, right? And everybody went out to chase the Jews. And they abandoned the city open and they chased after the Jews. So if you look on the map, 
you see, it seems that the small ambush, this is a theory of my husband, that the small ambush attacked the people of Bates Ale who were coming to help I, and the big ambush, right, came into I to destroy it. Okay, now, they have no idea what's waiting for them. So Hashem says to Yeshua, now is the time. Stretch out your spear. Now, Kidon is a spear, a long spear. Stretch out the spear that is your hand or at toward I, because I am giving her in your hands and Yeshua stretches out his hand to the city. Now this is a sign, right? And, and clearly from what happens, the this was a pre, um, pre-designated sign for the ambushers to get up and go into the city. He waits until it's time. And then, they left it open and the ambush sees the sign of the outstretched spear they quickly jump up from their place. They run when they see that, that stretched out arm, and they come into the city, they capture it. There's nobody there. All the people of I had foolishly left the city unprotected, thinking that this is a piece of cake, let's get the Jews. And they hurried and they set it on fire. They set it on fire. And the people of I, uh oh, they turn around and they see that their city is in flames. They didn't have hands to run this way or that way. What's hands? Rashi says strength, right? Literally, hands. It's like, are completely dumbfounded. They did not expect this. They were very overconfident, which is a bad way for an army to be. They did not think of all the angles. They turn around, their city's gone. And Yeshua's army that had been fleeing eastward to the desert, Yeshua says, okay, let's go get them. And they all turn around to chase the people of Ai. And all Israel saw that the ambushers had captured the city and that the smoke of the city had risen up. So they returned, they turned around and they struck the men of Ai. So now that they burnt the city, that same force of burning the city goes out of the city towards the army of Ai. And they were in between the two fighting forces of the Jews. One side is the ambush that burnt the city and they're out. And then the other side is... Yoshua's force coming back. 
struck them until there was nothing left. There was no body surviving. Now you see here the tremendous, you know, impact of this victory, because as we said before, it's completely strategic. The army is fighting it, of course, they couldn't do it without Hashem, and we'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of the PR for the people of Canaan, hey, what happened previously was just a ruse. The first failed battle of Ai was a ruse. So they could do this to them. And it's brilliant. So now they have recouped the loss of prestige and the Chil Hashem that happened in the first chapter, in the first battle of Ai, chapter seven. Pasachop Gimel, that Melchai Tafsuchai by Akriva to Yeshua, they capture the king of Ai alive and they bring him to Yeshua. We'll get back to him in a minute. Chavdalit. And it was when the Jewish people finished uh, killing the, the dwellers of Ai in the field, in the desert where they had chased them, they all were killed by the sword and the Jewish people came back to Ai and they um, they struck whoever was left in I, according to the sword. And we hear that indeed it wasn't such a big city. All those who fell, including men and women, everyone in the city was 12,000 people, all the people of I. That's really not so many if you consider how many was their fighting force. So the original spies who said, well, it's not a big deal, they underestimated the fortification and the elevation, but it was a small place. Now, Chafav is a very important Pasuk. And Yoshua standing there with his outstretched spear, right? until I was finished off, until everything was destroyed in I. What's going on there? Does that remind you of something? Right? Think of the battle of Amalek, right? When the Amalek attacks the Jewish people after they come out of Egypt, right? Moshe's hands go up, right? And he can't, he's, he's too tired to hold them up. So they hold up his hands. There's a very famous Mishnah I wanted to share with you, right? And it was when Moshe would lift his hands, the Jewish people would win. And the Hazal ask, Is it the hands of Moshe that make war or lose war? That is to tell you, they made a song out of this. This is to teach us that as long as the Jewish people would look up and serve, turn their hearts to serve their father in heaven, they overcame. And if not, they fell. 
The similar story is told about the Nechash HaNechoshet. They put a, a bronze serpent in Bamidbar. There was a plague. And this bronze serpent, right, if you looked at this bronze serpent, you were saved, right? What's the pshat? If you looked up towards God, you saw that that uh, copper serpent, and that was the refuah. It's very, very interesting. And I said, this is this is really what's going on with the kidon. When he lifts up the kidon, this is his tefillah. This is his prayer. And it's something that's definitely a life lesson. We always have to always be mishabdim its libenu lavinu shabashamayim. We have to always turn our hearts to our Kaddish Baruch Hu for him to help us with our different troubles. Pasuk Hapsayim. Rak ha-behema u-shlal ha-ir ha-i bazzul ha-misrael kedvar ha-shem ha-shetzivat Yoshua. Right? So the Jewish people take the spoils that they want from I, that's Chavzayin, Chavchet, Ba'isrop Yoshua ta'ay, Ba'isimeh, Te'el Olam, Shmama ha-yom ha-zeh. And Yoshua burnt the city and he made a mound of it. It's desolate until today, which is until the writing of the book, right? And Chavteh um, tells us an important halacha that Melech Ha'ai Talala Eitz on Eitz Ha'erev. The king of Ai was, was hanged. I was always taught in my English classes that curtains are hung and people are hanged. I have no idea why. But anyway, they take the king of Ai and they hang him. And the reason for that is to show people to frighten the enemy and to strengthen the Jews. So people will see, oh, this is the great king of Ai who was so powerful and he is hanging on a tree. But Kivo Hashemesh, when the sun sets, Siva Yoshu, Vayawidu at Nivlatom in Aids, Vayashlicho Ota, El Petachar Hair, Vayakimo love Galavanim Gadol. They take him down, a buried, uh, a hanged person is not allowed to be overnight, and they, they bury him, they put rocks over him, and it's important to, we learn here, important halachot um, about honoring the dead, the dead person should be buried as soon as possible. In Yerushalayim, the minig is, no matter what time it is, to bury them the same day. Okay, so that's basically the end of the story of I. And then we have a very sort of interesting PS here, the last few psukim. <clears throat> now that sounds a lot like us, Yivne. First of all, us is then, and Yivne is future. So that's weird. It sounds like a famous piece of our davening from Shmos, Az Yashir. So it doesn't necessarily have to be future. It could be continuous action, but it's a very strange keta that comes right here. What's going on here? Let's just go through it quickly. Yoshua builds a mezbah for God on Har Eval. And the, the next few psukim are talking about a command that we had in, in Parshas Kitavo, Pasuk Lam and Aleph. He made the Mizbeach just as Moshe had been commanded. Moshe, the servant of God, is always getting this <coughs> appellation. 
as it says in Sefer Torah, Moshe and the Torah, that you make a Mizbeach, an altar with whole stones. You do not take any metal on those stones. And the reason for that is because weapons are used, for, I'm sorry, metal is used for weapons. And we use the Mizbeach to bring peace. So it cannot be something that's made with a weapon. And they brought uh, carbonotes, and um, this is a great simcha. Now, I sent you in the chat, for those of you who didn't get a chance to look at it, an article about the, the archaeological excavations where they found Yoshua's altar. And uh, they found now something else that comes up here in the next few psukim. When they originally found the Mizbeach of Yoshua, I, I remember that that was a tremendous archaeological discovery. And the archaeologists had no idea it was a very bizarre thing, a square a square thing with like animal bones underneath it. And the, then they realized that this is a, a Mizbeach and it, it fit all the right measurements and stuff, very interesting. And now they found a piece that looks like one of the curses. And this is what happens here, Lam and Gimel. I'm sorry, I skipped Lam and Bet. And they wrote there on the stones the Mishnah Torah of Moshe that he wrote before Lamed hey, lo yadavar mikol shetziva Moshe shalo kara Yeshua neged kol kai Yisrael v'anashim atafa ger holech b'kerba. So Lamed Gimel, I'm sorry, actually starting Lamed Bet, Lamed Gimel, Lamed Dal, and Lamed Hey are telling a story that takes us back to Parshas uh, Parshas Kitavo. When you cross, look look here. When you cross the Jordan, right, set up for yourselves great stones. And and um, uh, see it if I remember, you know, to yeah, plaster them and write on them all the words of the Torah, Pasuk uh, Gimel here. And when that when you come to the land, the you'll you'll when you cross the Jordan, I'm skipping a little bit, put up these rocks that I prepare that I set up for you, right? And har evol, right? And then you make a mizbeach Hashem check. Don't put on any metal check. Make big um, abanim, big rocks, and make a carbonate. And you will write on the Torah, all on these rocks, all the words of the Torah, explain it well. Okay, so part of that is a, is a big question. We're really out of time, so I'm just going to sum, sum up. Writing the Torah, the Mishnah Torah, there's a number of different explanations. What does that mean, Mishnah Torah? Some people say it's safe for the Barabbas says it's just a Sarah wrote. It's not Shaykh that they wrote the whole Torah. We don't really know what they wrote, but there was enough there. Some people say just a list of mitzvot. We don't know. But what happens later on in this parak, right? The bracha, the bracha uh, tribes would stand on Hagrizim, Shim and Levi Yehuda Yisachar Yosef and Yamin, and on Har Eval 
withstand those who are going to pronounce the curses. Reuben got Asher's will and done Naphtali. Naphtali, six tribes on Hargrizim, six tribes on Harival, and now Yahushua does the ceremony as he was told to do, and they start with the blessings. The Torah only goes through the curses here. Uh, uh, cursed is the man who makes the idol, who disrespects his parents, who uh, makes a, causes a blind person to stumble, etc., etc. All these sort of things that terrible things, and a person who doesn't uh, upkeep the keep up the Torah, who discounts parts of the Torah and says that's okay. And first comes the bracha. The bracha for the people who will do these things and the klala for those who don't do it. This is exactly as it told the command that God gave Moshe in the desert. And that's what Yeshua does. So at the end of going back to the Yeshua, right? There wasn't one thing that he didn't do. And in front of the whole nation and the Kohanim were there with the Aron and they were pronouncing first to Hargwizim the brachot and then to Harival the klalot. And this ceremony happened. So our big questions here, of course, we have a lot of questions. One of the big questions is, why now? Second question is, was it now? So there's a lot of different opinions here. So I'll just give you the general sense of it. The general sense of it is, the Chazal say it all happened when they crossed the Jordan. Right? There's a tremendous Gemara. I have it somewhere for you. They did it all. Right? They did it all the same day. It's a very strange Gemara, but there you go. Sometimes they are. See how many miracles were performed that day. They crossed the Jordan. They came to Hargrizim. They came to Har Abel, more than 60 mil far away. No one could stand before them. They brought the stones. They built the altar. They wrote upon the stones the Torah in 70 language. They explained it well. They brought burnt offerings, shlomim offerings. They even drank with and then they went back to Gilgal. The only way to explain such a thing is the Gemara, it's a Chazal, it's a big nace. It might be a lot simpler, a pshat is to say that when Yeshua crossed the Jordan, he set up stones as a monument in the Jordan. He set up monument uh, uh, stones outside the Jordan as a monument. And now that he has sliced the country in half, okay, I need a different map here, which I don't have, okay. He sliced the country in half, and now he has a clear way up here, if you see the blue line, north to Harifrayim, north to the Shechem area. Hagwizim and Harivel are now accessible. People are afraid of the Jews again, and now it's time to fulfill this command. And that's what seems to happen. He started the command previously, and now he's finishing it. It's a strange thing that happens here. In the next parak, we're going to see how this second monumental victory is going to affect the, again, the PR in Canaan and how people are going to react to this. And again, we're going to see that a Baruch Hu is going to take every angle, the thing that Yeshua is afraid of, it's going to happen. Now in chapter nine, chapter nine is a very interesting, strange story with the Geonim, but chapter 10, the thing that Yeshua is afraid of happens that you all start to gang up on him. And Hashem turns that around to make that a, a victory for Yeshua. Sure.